I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, hogs, moths, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, rabbit, you name it. Hello, and welcome to Post Credits with Gil Garcia, where we go beyond the final scene. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. We are celebrating the holiday with a very special episode today. Instead of reviewing a new release or a more modern film, I wanted to bring to you a holiday tradition with my family. Today we are reviewing Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Released in 1987, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles has become a staple in my household every single Thanksgiving, and I think it's an important enough film to highlight and bring attention to. Next year, perhaps, I'll dedicate two weeks to Thanksgiving-related pictures. I've received recommendations for Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, The Addams Family, Thanksgiving, and even Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, because yes, there is a Thanksgiving scene in that movie. (laughs) So I wanted to make an important announcement before we get into today's episode. If you're not following the show on Instagram, December will be a big month for our community. To celebrate the season of giving, I want to give back to you, the community. Throughout the month of December, I'll be doing giveaways for listeners. All you have to do to enter the giveaway is to listen to those December shows for a key phrase. Once you've listened to the episode, you'll need to quote tweet, share, or comment on the episode post with that key phrase using the hashtag postcreditsxmas. If you missed out on one giveaway, don't worry, you have three opportunities to enter. For those three weeks, I'll be giving one lucky listener a $25 gift card of their choosing to any retailer or restaurant. It could be a a Chipotle card, Target, Amazon, Steam, Xbox, PlayStation, Best Buy, maybe even a vanilla gift card from Visa, whatever you want. And the three episodes to listen to are going to be on December 4th. We have my Guilty Pleasures Holiday Edition, where I will be reviewing Jingle All the Way and Deck the Halls. On December 11th, I'll be reviewing Home Alone, the trilogy. So that includes Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and Home Alone 3. And then... On December 18th, we'll be reviewing the latest Warner Brothers film, Wonka, based on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Winners will be announced on the show the following week, so if you enter for the December 4th episode, your name will be called out on December 11th, and vice versa. Be sure to keep your eye on the social media page for more details. Remember, the X and Instagram username is PC with Gil, so make sure you follow the show on those social media pages so that you can be informed when the giveaways go live. Now, getting back to today's episode, it's time to take a load off, relax, and put your hands between some pillows. Let's descend into madness with Neil Page in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This is Act One of the show. Easily excitable Neil Page is somewhat of a control freak. Trying to get home to Chicago to spend Thanksgiving with his wife and kids, his flight is rerouted to a distant city in Kansas because of a freak snowstorm, and his sanity begins to fray. Worst yet, he is forced to bunk up with talkative Del Griffith, whom he finds extremely annoying. 
Together, they must overcome the insanity of holiday travel to reach their intended destination. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is written and directed by John Hughes, famous for Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Uncle Buck, The Breakfast Club, and wrote Home Alone 1 and 2 Lost in New York. The film stars Steve Martin as Neil Page, John Candy as Del Griffith, and Layla Robbins as Susan Page. John Hughes has a knack for crafting humble, feel-good comedies based around holidays. Not only did he give us this film for Thanksgiving, he's responsible for the Home Alone franchise, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and Miracle on 34th Street. Whether or not you knew it, this man has likely been a member of your household for all these years. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles would often be the film we would throw on right as we serve dessert on Thanksgiving night. The smell of pumpkin pie, apple pie, and cranberry lingering in the air as the movie played on television brings me back to a simpler time, and times that I reminisce about my family. And by this point in the night, of course, all the football games are over, the dinner has been served, And my eldest sister is at the critical point of the night where she's deciding between whether napping on the couch or organizing a game of Uno. (laughs) This movie wasn't just a staple of the holiday. My dad unapologetically loved this movie. During the mid-2000s, he actually installed the DVD player in our Ford minivan. So when we'd go on these long road trips to either Arizona or Las Vegas or Northern California, we would throw the DVD into the player so that we could shut the fuck up in the backseat. <laughs> but he would always put it on because it was a favorite of his. This is hands down one of his favorite films, and it's one of my family's. And you'd think with how many times I've seen this movie over the years, I would get sick of it. So I wanted to approach this revisit with a more moderate, neutral point of view. Of course, I cannot be completely subjective to the nostalgia of certain moments and scenes, but I wanted to see if the film still holds up on a critical level and a personal level. So this episode is my attempt to deconstruct the movie critically while injecting my own personal anecdotes and connections to the film. And before we get to the review, I'm going to be honest about this episode. I don't expect it to be a long one or a thorough one at that. The movie has been out for 36 years, and we don't need to shy away from spoilers or plot details. We're going to go over a a lot of it anyhow. I'm serving up this show as a nice, short, and sweet slice of pie for the holidays, and I fully expect to return for a real beefy review next week when we do The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So now it's time that we actually talk about the film that's at hand, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This is Act 2, my official review. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles succeeds as a holiday classic for many reasons, but none more so than its two lead actors, Steve Martin and John Candy. Steve Martin's Neil Page is a curmudgeon of a New York City marketing executive trying to get back to Chicago to see his family for Thanksgiving. Martin's journey in this film is hilarious and painful to watch at times. You could call it karmic retribution for being a stuck-up asshole, but the lengths of bad luck and incompetent hijinks on display is absolutely outstanding. It's incredible to watch. While Martin is stoic and very cold-hearted, he is juxtaposed by the ever-lovable John Candy's Del Griffith. Del is a complete blabbermouth and nuisance, 
from stealing Neil's cab in the opening scene of the movie to running a rental vehicle completely to the ground, Dell is the embodiment of chaos and turmoil. And in any other movie, or with any other actor for that matter, Dell Griffith could be portrayed as one of the biggest comedic antagonists of all times just by the sheer amount of shit he causes <laughs> alone. But what makes Dell so endearing after all of these years is John Candy's knack for portraying a vulnerable, ill-fated everyman who is an exhausting burden, but a friendly face to be around. Credit to Hughes's writing of Dell as well. They bury this character's dark past so well in how Candy keeps his optimism in spite of the bleak situations they find themselves in. John Candy is the heart and soul of this film, and his portrayal as Dell Griffith really keeps the film together. In lesser hands, this character would have sucked to see on screen. But with John Candy, this character is a comedic icon. But say if you threw someone like Kevin James or Melissa McCarthy in that role, you could easily see them nominated for a Razzie for this particular character. Dell bumbles around aimlessly to the near point of becoming Neil's stalker, while also presenting the pairing with some clever ways to get home for the holidays. Now with those story elements involved, we have the makings of a formulaic comedy. Steve Martin is the straight man to John Candy's goofball. And that formula actually works and it holds up really well. Steve Martin's smart-ass, stoic cynicism could come off as a bit too mean-spirited at times and unlikable, but somehow you still find yourself rooting for him to see his family. Things get off to a rocky start right away as their plane gets redirected to Wichita and Dell has to call in a favor in order to get the duo a room for rent. An early point of contention for me and a sign of the times is that Dell's a traveling shower curtain ring salesperson. <laughs> traveling salespeople in the 80s were almost like a common and often used plot device for comedic films, appearing in films like Tommy Boy, Used Cars, The Goods, etc., you could call him a great salesperson, but the way that Dell gets favors thrown his way throughout the movie is pretty incredible. <laughs> Later on in the film, we do see how great of a salesperson he can be, but it's a very convenient plot point that Hughes goes to the well a few times here in the script. And you know what? It didn't bother me too much. It was something that I wanted to note right away. The team gets stuck at an airport without lodge. Dell somehow knows a hotel clerk in town. The guys can't get a vehicle ride to the train station. Don't worry, Dell has the right person to call. It's actually quite hilarious if you remember that it's just shower curtains that he's selling. It's a testament to how much of an impression that Dell leaves on the people he comes across in life, that they're willing to give him free lodging and travel just because he's a shower curtain salesman. I wouldn't go out of my way to give my plumber a room for rent. <laughs> Now, this movie is full of hijinks, and the number of things that go wrong is insane. This is one of those movies where anything that could go wrong does go wrong. And the scenarios these guys are put through, it's pretty outstanding. But before we get to the scene that we are all truly here for, I would be remiss to mention the one scene that truly defines the movie for generations of audiences. It's in the hotel right in the first act of the film. But it isn't the one you're thinking of. It's the one that takes place the night they arrive in Wichita, 
where Neil confronts Dell and tells him what an obnoxious piece of shit he is. This moment is precisely when the movie hooks you in. It serves as a cathartic release for Neil, but a sentimental insight into how incredibly kind Dell is. I want to play the scene for you here because I think it's worth mentioning and worth listening to, especially for John Candy's performance. Take a listen. You want to hurt me? Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target. Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. The part that really chokes me up each time I see this scene is where Dell says, I can be a cold-hearted cynic like you, but I don't like to hurt people's feelings. We'll go on to see throughout the rest of the film, there are moments where Dell can become a heartless and disillusioned person like Neil, but he doesn't. Dell really is the real article, as he says, and John Candy's performance really tugs on your heartstrings. His facial expressions, his posture, his composure to accept what Neil tells him and withhold any negative retorts to himself in order to keep their friendship afloat. This is why the movie is so beloved. It's a movie about forgiveness and acceptance of who you are and the testament of human will. Many people who I've read from online not only share this sentiment about the Del Griffith character, but for John Candy, the actor himself. The late great actor was such a beloved figure in Hollywood. He had such a way to break your heart and uplift it at the same time. It's sad because him and I have only shared the planet for five years. He died in 1994 and I was born in 1989. And it's been nearly 30 years since he's passed away. But his presence is still felt in the homes of millions of people every year. And although I only shared five years on this planet with him, he still feels like an uncle to me because of how commanding his presence is in every movie that I watch him in. What an incredible talent. What an incredible human being John Candy was. They really do not make them like they used to. John Candy was one of a kind. And this, to me, is like his magnum opus. And now that we've highlighted John Candy's impeccable dramatic acting in the movie, let's take a moment to appreciate his comedic acting. It's time we talk about the pillow scene. <laughs> This is the first thing that comes to mind whenever I bring up this movie, or when my family comes around for Thanksgiving. It's the line, Those aren't pillows! <laughs> the line comes near the beginning of the film, when they are forced to share a room in Wichita that only has one king-sized bed. Overnight, the two get robbed, but because they're sharing the bed together, they end up cuddling and nuzzling in the morning. <laughs> Neil wakes up to Dell kissing his earlobe and nuzzling him while Neil is holding Dell's left hand. The real shocker to the scene comes from the realization that while Dell is holding Neil's left hand, Dell's right hand is wedged between two pillows, aka Neil's ass cheeks. 
in classic John Hughes fashion, the two guys jump out of bed and they begin to ramble about the Chicago Bears. They try to sidestep the butt play that just went on, and it's hilarious, man. This is excellent comedic timing, and the two characters just share a moment of shock and betrayal and just absolute humility. It's hilarious. (laughs) This line became the defining moment of the film even inspiring a re-release of the movie on DVD titled the Those Aren't Pillows edition that came with an extra 20 minutes of commentary and special features. To me, the novelty of the line has maybe worn its course a bit. I'm no longer laughing at it the way that I used to. I used to bust up every single time this movie got to this scene, but I still find the scene hilarious. Even though I'm not laughing as hard, I still laugh at it. It's still a very good, well-acted comedic scene. I think it might be the nuzzling and the bears discussion that cements the gag for me. And it goes far overlooked in that respect. But no, the hijinks doesn't just stop there. Oh no, we are only getting started. Here's a basic rundown of the journey these guys had to go through together to get from New York to Chicago. First of all, they get in a plane that gets rerouted to Wichita. They have to share a hotel and bed for the night, to which they get burgled while they slept. They then have to hitchhike with a rabid dog and redneck family to a train station. The train then breaks down hilariously on the railway from Wichita to St. Louis, and now they have to hop on a bus that will take them to St. Louis. Neil then decides to rent a car, but Neil's rental car is stolen off the lot and has to casually walk back to the airport, only to get denied another vehicle because of his loud mouth, let's just put it that way. And we'll get back to that in a minute. Dell then bails Neil out from another jam by inviting him to travel in a rental that he's been awarded. Neil destroys the vehicle, and the two end up getting arrested. They finally have to hitchhike to Chicago in a frozen food truck. And then there's one final train ride that will take them to Chicago to reunite with the Page family. (laughs) Man, that is a lot. There's actually a map you can check out on the Wikipedia and Reddit page for this film that shows you the exact detailed route that these characters go on. And it's kind of wild how absurdly out of the way they had to go because of the rerouting to Wichita. It's insane. Now, I've given John Candy a lot of praise in this episode. I think it's only fair that it's time to give Steve Martin his due. His standout moment in the movie comes at the airport rental company. He got screwed out of his rental and threw away his receipt. As such, he has an incredible F-bomb-filled tirade on the woman working at the counter, which ultimately culminates in one of the most classic one-liners of the film. Take a listen. No, Mom's going to do the turkey. Yeah, Dad wants ambrosia, so I guess we got to get those miniature marshmallows. And I'll do the crescent rolls, and you do the cranberries. You know I can't cook. (laughs) (coughs) Yeah, well, I'll see you tomorrow then. Gobble, gobble. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) bye-bye. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may I help you? 
you can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking now. May I see your rental agreement? I threw it away. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, what? You're fucked. The number of fucks given in this scene could have easily been portrayed as over-the-top and hammy, but Martin gives the scene enough dry sarcasm and anger that it builds and builds to a hilarious crescendo. And we could all sympathize with the scenario that Neil's been put in, so it finally comes to a head at this moment, nearly costing him the entire trip home. Another key moment in the movie for me that I have to highlight before we move on is a sequence at the end of the film where Neil doubles back for Dell at the train station. I told you, this movie has a lot of heart, and throughout this entire movie, Neil is selfish and despises Dell for all of the setbacks and hiccups that he's caused along the way. But the realization hits him. Dell is a loner. He's a drifter, a traveling salesperson whose wife passed away some years ago. It's heartbreaking and also heartwarming when Neil doubles back around for Dell. All this time, Dell's been the one to come back for Neil. Dell's been the one to promise him to get him home for the holidays. And finally, Neil returns the favor. Neil doubles back around and he invites Dell home for Thanksgiving, introducing him to the entire Page family and thanking him for getting him home safely. The ending really is a tearjerker, especially because the final frame hangs on John Candy's joyful face as it fades to black. This movie really was... John Candy and John Hughes's greatest work, in my opinion. With both of them gone, this single frame really hits close to home and recontextualizes the entire film for me. Does planes, trains, and automobiles hold up? Abso-fucking-lutely. So I told you this episode is going to be short and sweet. And with this being said, I'm not going to rate the movie. Instead, I'm going to implore you, please make this a part of your holiday tradition if you haven't already. Whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, we can all use a good, humble, heartwarming movie every once in a while, and I cannot recommend planes, trains, and automobiles enough. Normally, after I review the parts I liked about a movie, I give some things I disliked about it. Sure, there are some particular moments and logic flaws that I didn't care for, but I don't think it's appropriate to chime in too negatively on this movie because re-watching it today, even as subjective as I wanted to say I went into this film, I actually enjoyed it more looking at it just from a straight critical perception. Even from an analytical critical perspective, I think this movie has no detrimental weaknesses or problems. It's just a really good feel-good movie that you could indulge in. It's as warm and cozy as a good old-fashioned Thanksgiving pumpkin pie. And with that being said, 
let's get to the final act of our show and go over the interesting factoids and critical reception of planes, trains, and automobiles. Of course, in 1987, Rotten Tomatoes wasn't invented, but that doesn't prevent us from looking at the review scores from modern audiences. Right now, on the site, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is currently certified fresh with 92% from critics, with a high 87% approval from audiences. Critic consensus reads, Thanks to the impeccable chemistry between Steve Martin and John Candy, as well as a deft mix of humor and heart, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a hilarious, heartfelt holiday classic. I 100% agree. Let's get into some filmmaking factoids and then go on our holiday vacation. The first filmmaking factoid is a very interesting one. There are a lot of cameos in this movie. One in particular that I really liked was Michael McKean. You know him as Charles McGill in Better Call Saul. If you watch the scene where they get pulled over, the officer, Michael McKean, is clearly driving a car and wearing a uniform of the Wisconsin State Patrol. Apparently, there was a longer original scene in which McKean explains that they missed the turn to Chicago over 100 miles ago (laughs) and would have been home by now (laughs) with predictable consequences. (laughs) But it had to be cut down for length, so the location was omitted and a shorter scene reshot. You can see that the sky changes from clear to cloudy midway through the scene since it was filmed on two different days. And that's why the costumes remain the same. But I think it still works. If you don't pay attention to those minor details, them getting pulled over still works in the context of the film. But yes, just imagine them traveling 100 miles out of their way would have added another day of travel for them. That's a bit too much. And I'm glad they cut it out. But that's pretty funny. John Hughes, in an interview on the Those Aren't Pillows edition DVD, said he was inspired to write the film's story after an actual flight he was on from New York to Chicago. The flight was diverted to Wichita, Kansas, taking him five days to get home. Very reminiscent of what this film goes through. (laughs) This one's pretty good. The marathon car rental scene is exactly one minute long from the time Steve Martin starts his tirade to the time the attendant ends the scene. In that 60 seconds, the F word is used 19 times. The film would have easily been rated PG or PG-13 by the MPAA if it were not for this one scene. Instead, it's rated R. (laughs) Just because of this one scene. That's pretty hilarious to me. (laughs) In the airport scene in Wichita, when the airline employee announces that the flight has been canceled, you can see on the board behind him that the destination of the flight is, quote, nowhere. (laughs) Pretty awesome set decoration and design there. Good little Easter egg if you look for it. I got two more for you guys. The second to last one is that director John Hughes was known for staging improvisational moments for his actors in order to capture a genuine reaction. Since he was not satisfied with the Owen scene introductions after several takes, he privately instructed Dylan Baker, who played Owen the redneck on the truck, to wipe spit in his right hand just before shaking hands with Neil Page. Steve Martin was not expecting this, 
Thus, his disgusted reaction to shaking Baker's hand is legitimately real. The film crew reportedly exploded in laughter as Martin ran off to wash his hands following the encounter. John Hughes got the reaction he needed and the footage was kept in the film. That is hilarious. (laughs) I really like that. (laughs) That reminds me of Django Unchained when Leonardo DiCaprio accidentally cut his hand on the skull and wiped it across Kerry Washington's face. (laughs) Really good improvisational acting right there. And now for the final factoid of the night. I said this episode's going to be short and sweet. This is the final one we have to go on. John Hughes originally wanted Tom Hanks for the role of Neil Page and John Travolta for the role of Del Griffith. Hanks was unavailable since he was busy shooting big at the time. And Paramount executives did not want John Travolta in the movie because he was considered as box office poison at the time. Just imagine how dramatically different the movie would have been if it was Hanks and Travolta. I don't think it would have held up to today's standards, and I think the studio might have dodged a bullet on those casting choices. Part of the reason why people beloved this movie so much is because of Steve Martin and John Candy, and I don't think it would have been just as good with Tom Hanks or John Travolta. Now, if the movie were remade today, I'd imagine the studios would want to get like Chris Pratt for Neil Page and maybe Kevin James or Zach Galifianakis for Del Griffith. Wait. I think I just remembered that 2009 movie. Um, what was it called? With Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Due Date. Holy crap. That was actually a Planes, Trains, and Automobiles remake. <laughs> so they've already done it. But way more mean-spirited and worse than this movie. This movie is a classic. Due Date is not. <laughs> Do not go watch Due Date, by the way. Not a good movie. And with that final factoid, it's time to head off to our Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Once again, I wish you and your family a safe and happy travels. I will return next week with the latest installment of the Hunger Games franchise, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Thank you for listening to Post Credits with Gil Garcia. And don't forget, go catch a movie.